This afternoon, we are looking at Lord's Day 5 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You'll notice uh, Lord's Day 5 also begins the second part of the Catechism, second of three parts. The first part began in Lord's Day 2 after the introduction of Lord's Day 1. And the first part was our sin and misery. That's what we looked at in Lord's Days 2, 3, and 4. Lord's Day 4 focused on God's a just judgment, which is temporal and eternal punishment against those who have transgressed his law. That brings us to Lord's Day 5, the first Lord's Day in uh, our deliverance. Since according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? God demands that his justice be satisfied Therefore, we must make full payment either by ourselves or through another. Can we by ourselves make this payment? Certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Can any mere creature pay for us? No. In the first place, God will not punish another creature for the sin which man has committed. Furthermore, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? One who is a true and righteous man, and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is at the same time true God. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, lately the news has been filled with reports about Hurricane Dorian. Dorian formed into a hurricane on August 28th in the Atlantic Ocean, and by September 1st it had intensified into a Category 5 storm, the highest rating for a hurricane. And Dorian's peak Peak sustained wind speeds reached a mind-boggling 295 kilometers per hour. On September 1st was also the day Dorian made landfall. Sorry. September 1st was also the day Dorian made landfall in the Bahamas. And soon afterwards, forward movement for the hurricane nearly stalled out. And for the next 36 hours, many people in the Bahamas lived a nightmare. And now that Dorian has finally left the area, pictures from from the Bahamas show scenes of utter destruction. Maybe you've seen some of those pictures. Thousands of homes were destroyed The death toll has only risen, will probably continue to arise. A news reporter described the scene as pure hell. Seeing all that destruction, it's no wonder that when a hurricane approaches, especially of that magnitude, you can hear authorities give one message. Get out. Evacuate. Flee for your lives. Get away from the source of danger 
Your life is at risk. That's what happens when a strong hurricane approaches. But humans face a much greater problem than this. God's end-time judgment is coming. And it's far worse than a Category 5 hurricane. And here we should ask, what should we do? What should humans do when they're faced with such a stark and sobering reality? Should we do as when that hurricane comes? Flee away. Should we all try run away from God, the, the source of the danger? Can we escape his punishment like we're escaping a hurricane? Of course, we could never do that. People might try in this world, but it's not going to work. God's end-time judgment is, is more like the flood he sent in Noah's day. It covered the earth. No one could, could evacuate or, or outrun it. So then, what can we do? Well, there's only really one option. We must all run to God. We must run to God himself to escape God's punishment on sin. And that seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Why run to the source of danger? Here is what we must understand. Only God can save, him, save us from himself. Only God can save us from himself. He's the only way of escape, but he is also the sure way of escape, so we must come to him. So that's also the sermon theme. We must run to God to escape from God's punishment. We'll look at what is needed to escape God's punishment uh, second, the folly of trying to escape through ourselves or other creatures. And third, the escape God himself provides. So the end of Lord's Day 4 does not seem to give any hope for any of us sitting here. Lord's Day 4, it talks about the curse of the law. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And notice that those words are all-encompassing. Curse be not just some people, but all people. And everyone who does not buy, abide by all things written in the book of the law. Well, that sounds bleak. Not any hope there. And that's also why we read from Nahum 1, which says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? Now, when you read statements like that in Scripture, you might want to run away from God or just avoid him. For all, it sounds like we're all doomed. How could we possibly live in the presence of this God seeing who we are? I certainly cannot stand before his indignation Neither can any of you. But here in Lord's Day 5, we see hope again. Since according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? 
And that's probably the most important question anyone can ever ask. How can we be received into God's favor? That's what every human needs. What everyone, every human needs to know. For all, what good is it if a man gains the world but loses his soul forever? Well, the answer to this question is, God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment either by ourselves or through another. You see, God is a just God. He will always maintain his justice. He's not going to deny himself. And so any view of salvation where God denied his justice for the sake of his mercy is a false view of salvation. Any view of salvation where God denied his justice for the sake of his mercy is a false view of salvation. That's also why Nahum 1 verse 3 says, The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. He's not going to let the guilty simply go free. He's not going to sweep our sins under the cosmic rug and just let them go. And so if we're going to escape God's punishment upon sin, something needs to happen. Situation needs to change. The wages of sin is death, and therefore that payment needs to be made for sin. And our sin deserves temporal and eternal punishment. Someone needs to make that payment. When that payment is made, we can be sure that God's justice will be satisfied. Remember, God is a perfectly just God. He will not demand more than what justice requires. And so when this payment is made, we can be 100% sure that God's justice is satisfied and that we are received back into God's favor. We never need to doubt. We wouldn't need to worry about God changing his mind about us or demanding extra payment. No, he's a just God. Once the payment is made, we are received back into favor. That payment must be made. That brings us to our second point. So full payment must be made. And we, we might think we'd better try to find escape from God's punishment in someone or something else other than God. After all, God is the one who is angry at sin. See, if a, a person has a, a huge credit card debt, they don't phone up MasterCard and say, hey, I can't make my bill payment this month. Can you take this one for me? We know it doesn't work like that. People try to find someone else who can help them pay their bills. And the same logic suggests that you can't go to God to pay your debt to God. And that's why sinful human hearts try to find ways of making things with, good with God through themselves or through other people. That's why people make up all kinds of other saviors apart from Christ. But it's only foolish. Catechism asks, can we by ourselves make this payment? 
There's people who think they can. If their good works outweigh their bad works, they think they will be okay with God. It's not going to work. What's the problem? The payment is too high. People do not realize it. Remember, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. A person can only satisfy God's judgment by making that payment, by going through that punishment. We get a picture of this punishment against sin in the Old Testament sacrifices. We read about the burnt offering in Leviticus 1. Listen to what happened to that sacrifice. The person making the sacrifice had to bring an animal from his herd or, or flock to the tent of meeting. Then he had to kill that bull, for example, and the priest had to bring the blood and throw the blood against the side of the altar. Then the, the priest would take that animal and cut it into pieces. Then the offering was placed on the altar and the priest arranged wood on the altar and lit it on fire. And the animal was completely burned up in that sacrifice. Now, why did God have the Israelites make sacrifices in that way? He was showing them what payment for sin looked like. He was giving them a picture of his just judgment upon sin. And this, this is what payment for sin looks like. So if humans, if we were to pay for our sin, we would have to endure that punishment, go through that same ordeal as those sacrifices did, or, or a very similar one. But who can go through that? Of course, none of us can. That's why Nahum 1 says, who can stand before God's indignation? Who can endure the heart, the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. Those sacrifices show it's folly to think that we can pay for our own sin. It's not going to work. Can we ourselves make this payment? Ask the catechism. No, on the contrary, we daily increase our debt. See, the problem is that we're only sitting daily. It only adds our, to our debt. Look again at the requirements for the burnt offering in Leviticus 1. People who brought the sacrifice, they had to bring an animal that was without blemish. Had to be perfect. Had to be spotless. God is showing he's not going to accept a payment that is tainted with sin in any way. Of course, we all have sinned. We cannot make the payment. It needs to be someone else. This means that we must look outside of ourselves to find payment for our sin. Somebody outside of ourselves is going to have to do it. Look again at Leviticus 1. What did the person bringing the sacrifice need to do? They had to place their hand on the head of the animal that was to be slaughtered. 
By placing their hand on the head of that animal, it symbolized that they were transferring their guilt onto that sacrifice so that that animal would bear their penalty for them. The animal was slaughtered for them in their place, bearing their punishment. God had this written down in his word to send us this message as well. We all need someone outside of ourselves to make our payment, to bear our punishment. Having seen these sacrifices, the catechism then asks, can any mere creature pay for us? And at first it might seem like they can. After all, look at the burnt offering in Leviticus 1. It's true that the sacrifices of the Old Testament were teaching the people how atonement for sin was made. But those sacrifices were not good enough. And the book of Hebrews clearly teaches us this. It says those sacrifices offered at the tabernacle year after year continually could not perfect the worshipers. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But what do we see in those sacrifices with those animals? We see that those animals were completely decimated through that process. It was gone. Could not pay for sin and survive. That's why they kept being offered continually... At the dedication of Solomon's temple alone, 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep were sacrificed. It was not enough. And those animals could not walk away from the sacrifice. They were completely consumed. That's why the Catechism says, No mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. Brings us to our last point. To escape from God's punishment can only go to one person in the end, to God himself. Again, he is the only person who can save us from his own wrath. The good news, he's not only just, but he's also merciful. He has provided a way of escape. Nahum chapter 1 talks a lot about God's wrath, but it also says this, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. Yes, God is a just God, and many people in this world are going to face that justice for eternity. But those in this world who take refuge in Him will not be condemned. And so you must run to God, beloved. Flee from his wrath by running to him. Run to him in repentance and faith. Seek shelter from his wrath by seeking shelter in him. It might appear to be counterintuitive, but it's the only way that someone will be saved. 
Come to God. Come to Jesus Christ to find escape. It's the only way. And God himself provides this way of escape. That's also what the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus teach us. God himself was the one who commanded these sacrifices to happen. Why? Well, God was showing that salvation from his own judgment is only by his design. So we must follow his provision for salvation. Those sacrifices were pointing forward to someone else who could pay for sin. They they pointed ahead to our Savior. What kind of mediator and deliverer must we, we seek? Ask the catechism. One who is a true and righteous man, and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is at the same time true God. The catechism, likewise, points us to God himself. Come to God. God himself must save us from himself. And that's what he's done in the person of Jesus Christ. After all, Jesus Christ is true God. God the Father sent his Son to save us. John 3, verse 16 and 17, those well-known words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And it goes on, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's Son. God the Son came by the Father's will, and God the Son willingly came. And the cross of Christ, it was God's own design. He willed it to happen. He made sure it happened. And God the Son took upon himself true human nature to bear our punishment, the one we could not bear ourselves. Why were those animal sacrifices in the Old Testament a pleasing aroma to God? Because it pointed ahead to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it would be a pleasing aroma when the worshiper offered it in faith, looking ahead to the sacrifice to come. And Christ was the one who offered himself unblemished to God. Hebrews 10 verse 14 says, By a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. Perfected for all time by one sacrifice. Made perfect forever by one sacrifice. That's the power of Christ. It's why he's the only way. He bore the temporal and eternal punishment against our sins. See, what we see in the description of the burnt offering in Leviticus 1, in many ways, it describes what happened to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, the Lamb provided by God. 
He was a sacrifice without spot, without blemish. And by looking to him in faith, we can know our guilt was transferred onto him, just as those Old Testament worshipers placed their hand on the sacrifice. Our guilt was transferred to Christ. And then his body was broken. His blood was poured out, much like those Old Testament sacrifices. And he was sacrificed all the way to dying on a cross. He bore the eternal wrath of God against our sins. Much like those Old Testament sacrifices, they were burned up. A picture of God's wrath. That's what Christ endured on the cross. And in one sense, Christ was decimated by God's punishment. The wages of sin is death. But Christ was not simply destroyed by the sacrifice that he made. He did not remain decimated like one of those Old Testament burnt offerings. Three days later, Christ rose from the dead. And this teaches us something important too. For imagine for a moment... That one of those animals that was cut up and burned on the altar, imagine it it came back to life again. And then it jumped off the altar, ran out of the temple grounds, and started eating grass again. I'm sure you'd be surprised by that. Of course, it it never happened to any of those burnt offerings, but in in a way, that's what happened to Christ. Of course, he didn't eat grass, but he did eat some fish, and he was showing that he really was alive after his death. He was decimated by the wrath of God. Because of his perfection, he was raised to life again. And Christ's resurrection proclaims that Christ fully satisfied God's wrath. His offering, his payment was accepted by God. It's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That's why we all need Jesus Christ for salvation. You all need to put your faith in Christ for salvation. Every one of you, young, old, doesn't matter, everyone. Don't need to look to anyone else. Look to Christ. Look to the cross. He's the only one who could make this payment, and he has made it. Trust in him. Receive his blood in faith. You will find full salvation. Remember, Christ's sacrifice does not only mean that God's justice has been satisfied, it also means we've been received back into the favor of God. And this is the best thing of all. We want to experience the love of God. We want to enjoy the love of God. This is what we have through the sacrifice of Christ. It's not as if God just grudgingly turns his just judgment away from us through Christ's sacrifice. No, his face is turned towards us in blessing, in love.
children of wrath become objects of mercy and love in Jesus Christ. And we become God's own children. This is what God has done for us in Christ. God is the only one who could conceive a plan like this. Salvation is of the Lord. Beloved, let us run to God to escape his punishment upon sin. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together hymn 27, stanzas 1, 2, 5, and 6.